0: You're making educated guesses. In the beginning, you you definitely will make a lot of mistakes. I built the first front end. I'm not a developer, but I was literally learning on the fly and learning CSS, and I built our first UI leveraging Bootstrap. I literally just slapped a bunch of things I found on like GitHub, slapping JavaScript snippets together. Your time, in some ways, is a Bootstrap startup is opportunity cost. The more time you waste on a product that someone might not be using, that's wasted time for you. That's potential revenue. My name is Tony Chan, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cloud Forecast.
1: This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today, how Tony Chan made a way to let you know what you forgot to turn off on AWS. All this and more on Coat Story. Born and raised in Chicago, Tony Chan grew up in the South Side, a blue-collar neighborhood. He was heavily influenced by his dad, who was a first-generation immigrant, barely knew English, but started a restaurant. Tony took orders and worked at the restaurant as a kid, sitting on a milk crate, and this really shaped him as an entrepreneur. He's heavily involved in the Chicago Chinatown community, where he's interested in Asian American history. He plays volleyball, specifically in an isolated version in the Chinatown community, nine-man volleyball, which is super high-paced and is played on the street. He runs the Chicago Indie Hacker Crew, meeting up once a month to talk about side projects. And he's a Bulls fan all the way, but he's a hardcore Sox fan, which can be a little controversial in an area where the Cubs are also just as iconic. He and his co-founders had experiences at prior ventures where it took a long time to report on cloud cost trends and to know what you forgot to turn off in your infrastructure. After returning from a successful exit three years or so later, They all came back together to build their current venture. This is the creation story of Cloud Forecast.
0: Cloud Forecast is a B2B SaaS product, and the core of it is we help companies monitor and eliminate wasted AWS costs through just easy to understand daily reports for engineers. So we provide a range of just different types of reporting, daily, weekly, monthly, and the reports are very proactive and the deliverable is via email and Slack. And for us, we're very focused on engineers and delivering the reports to engineers in an easy to understand way without them spending too much time and cost. At the core of it, if you're a startup or mid-market sized company and you're focused on costs, it's really not going to make your product better. Right, you're focused on technical priorities, and monitoring costs can be mind-numbing. So we try to be proactive by making it quick and simple, alerting them of any cost anomalies, alerting them of any significant increases so they can catch it right away. So that way, they're not surprised at the end of month with their invoice and like, hey, what is this cost, right? What the heck is going on? Oh, for them to forget to turn off something. Uh, I heard a really funny quote the other day, a tweet that says, AWS is not paying for what you use. It's about paying for what you forgot to turn off. So we solved that problem for a lot of uh, mid-market and startup companies. And then in terms of starting the product, so the idea of this came back in 2012. My co-founder, Francois and Casey, I worked on the business side. Francois and Casey worked on the technical side. And we were a fast-growing startup at that time in the ad tech space. For them, it was always a challenge to actually find the time to monitor the costs, you know, they're deploying things on their side and their background is distributed systems. And it was just difficult for them to not light money on fire. And the CTO kind of once in a while would ask them, hey, how is the cost trending? And it took them a lot of time to just dig into cost explorer, find anomalies, kind of report on it and then go back. So the idea came about then, but it was always the back of their minds in terms of like building that product because we were just busy growing perfect audience at that time. And then finally we got required in 2014. So we had a successful exit and we all kind of went our separate ways professionally, but we always kept in touch. You know, There's something about being together, being early employees and kind of seeing a company through a successful exit, in some ways just keeps us in touch. And So it's always in the back of Francois and Casey minds, like, hey, one day we want to build a startup. We want to do something together. We want to work together again. After about three years of or so, um, yeah, I stayed on that company that acquired us, Casey went on his way professionally, Francois went away professionally as well. I think the startup, it just crept up on us in different ways. And I think all three of us just missed the feeling of being able to build something from the ground up and solving problems directly for people. So we got together, we formed the company and just got going on solving uh, AWS cost visibility and understanding for startups, mid-market sized companies on our side.
1: That's amazing. Let's dig into the MVP a little bit. So tell me about the first product you built. So you got the gang back together, you built the product. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools did you use?
0: For us, as mentioned, we were a bootstrap startup. So for us, when we got started, it was nights and weekends or whenever we had the time or the, the mental capacity to do that. So to build our first MVP took about six months or so, and that included building the actual product. And using that time to validate and iterate on our product. And we got very fortunate. We tapped into our network to chat with people about their problems, to get feedback on use cases. Uh, we were also pretty fortunate, and we recruited Francois' wife, who's also a UI designer, to help us design our reports and email. So we used her to build a lot of our emails and design a lot of our emails, and we just took the first version and we just reiterate it over and over and over again, just through our network and through previous places that we worked at. So our app is is, is a Rails app, and we leverage Mailgun to help us deliver our reports sometimes. We built everything on Adiba. So we use a lot of Lambda functions, EC2 and so on. And that's Francoise and Casey's kind of domain knowledge. So we, we definitely want to leverage that because there's also a lot of learnings on that. And I just remember I built the first front end on our side. I'm not a developer, but I was literally learning on the fly and learning CSS. And I built our first UI leveraging Bootstrap, just a quick and simple way to build a admin portal for people to log in and just adjust their app. And I remember just making a lot of mistakes. It was a really great learning opportunity. It was really ugly. It was funny because I remember showing them and they're like, okay, Tony, let's do a code review. And we did a code review and they were asking me like, oh, why did this code do this? Why this code do this? And I'm like, "Uh, I don't know, it just works. So I think just kind of looking back, it was kind of funny um, seeing that. And just, you know, it, at the end of the day, it works. It was not the best way to build it. But, you know, our first version was just very, very hacky. Our focus was just shipping out something as fast as possible.
1: Uh, it sounds like an MVP story. And, and you mentioned you're not a developer, but you developed the front end. So I think that that does make you a developer.
0: Yeah, you I'm know, just looking back, I literally just slapped a bunch of things I found on like GitHub and Bootstrap and just like slapping JavaScript snippets together and just trying things and things that worked and didn't. It was fun, you know? And I was, I joked with Francois, like, hey, look, I'm a developer. I'm just Googling things. He's like, yep, that's like half my life. I just Google things and just learn from others and just take snippets from other uh, code sources.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Combine Googling with Stack Overflowing and you have the developer education there so in in the mvp obviously you've got to you know build a product and make trade-offs right to say i'm going to build this i'm not going to build this or i'm going to use this technology i'm going to slap something together you know like you mentioned tell me about those decisions and trade-offs that you and the team made uh in the short term and how did you cope with them
0: so we we have three big competitors in our space and a lot of them are focused on dashboards really pretty reporting, really beautiful UI. I think when us doing this as a bootstrap startup, it's easy to look at that and be like, wow, that's what we need to build. For us, we had to take a step back and get some good advice from people and also just have difficult conversation with each other. It's like, what do we want to focus on? And if we focus on that one thing, how can we be really, really good at that one thing? And one of the advice that we got from advisors is if you're not focused on this one thing, then you're going to get distracted. You know, I I often call it a shiny object syndrome where you just get distracted all over the place and you try to replicate what your competitors are doing. The biggest trade-off we had to make is like, okay, do we go and do what our competitors are doing and just replicate what they're doing, which a lot of, I feel like founders often make. Or do we just focus on proactive reporting via email and Slack, right? And understanding what is the pain point that we're trying to solve. The pain point we're trying to solve is saving engineering's time. Engineers often don't want another tool. They're already bound by tons of tools that they're using. So for us, the biggest trade-off is like not building those fancy dashboards, not building those beautiful UI and whatnot, but just focusing on proactive reporting via email and also Slack as well. And just being really, really good at that one thing
1: how did you cope with those decisions as you were making them right because you know as a as an entrepreneur as an engineer as a creator you dream big you have a big vision of what the product can be but you can only do so much in the short term so how how did you cope with those decisions did you get excited that we're going to go all in on these channels or or was it like i can't wait until we can build the whole thing
0: I think a lot of it was also being realistic with ourselves and what we can do and what we can't do as a bootstrap startup. So that was helpful. I think having our first three customers from our network was helpful because it gave us a lot of feedback and validation of this is what we want. And we don't want fancy dashboards. We don't want another like better cost explorer because that's a lot of information I can get think from that, that, that's also understanding what your persona is and what problem that we're solving. So that was really helpful to help us cope with that. And just having strong advisors and someone to kind of lead us the right way. Brad, who was my former boss and now who's a Y Combinator partner now, he was the one who said, hey, you need to focus on this one thing and just be really, really good at it. The second you are distracted from not building an email reporting tool that's proactive and alerting and such, then that's when you are kind of going in the wrong direction. You know, just be really, really good at that one thing. So it's like a combination of things that just helped us cope with that and help us really stay focused. We also had each other too, right? Whenever we're like, hey, getting a little bit distracted, we kind of like kept each other in check. So that was really helpful.
1: So you got the MVP built. Tell me how you progressed the product from that point, how you matured it, based on, you know, market feedback or furthering ideas. Tell tell me more about the product progression.
0: So, if you know Francois, Casey and I personally, we're very relational people. We love building relationships and in some ways that's how we want to build our business. We want to be consistently in relationship with people, and through the relationships from the beginning of our first three customers to our 10 customers, 15, 20, 30, and so on, we are proactively engaging with them and asking them what problems that they're running into, what issues they're running into, what they like about the product, what they don't like about the product, and just asking really nosy questions, right? So that's been really helpful for us in terms of progressing the product. It's really tough in the beginning because for us, you know, you don't want to waste time, right? You don't want to build the product. and You don't want to build a feature that no one uses, right? In the beginning, it's really tough because you, you are in some ways making guesses, educated guesses in some ways, through your feedback loop. But as you get more customers, as you build more relationships, as you get the opportunity to talk to more people that educated guess becomes tighter and tighter in some ways. In some ways, that's how we progressed our product. A lot of it's just customer feedback. A lot of it's just building relationships. We do sales calls without expecting a commercial outcome, right, even if it's a quick conversation with someone who is an influencer in the space within AWS and ask him, hey, what are you seeing within the market? What are people running into? We see that as a win because that's another data point of how we can mature our product and how we progress our product. So we just chat with tons of people, build relationships and just learn from people. And then that's the most important thing to mature the product.
1: Kind of going past that a bit or really embedded in that, how did you build your roadmap? How did you decide this is the most next important thing to build?
0: That's always tough, right? Because like I mentioned before, you're making educated guesses. In the beginning, you you definitely will make a lot of mistakes. Your time in some ways is a bootstrap startup is opportunity cost. The more time you waste on a product that someone might not be using, that's wasted time for you, right? That's potential revenue. So in terms of roadmap, as mentioned, it's, it's a lot of community focus. In the beginning, we made a lot of mistakes of building things and then showing people, right? And in some ways, it kind of creates a false sense of positivity. No one's gonna be like, oh, that sucks. You know, especially if you spend time building it. Or like, oh, they won't give you objective feedback in some ways. Instead of asking them, what do you think about X, Y, Z? We ask them more about their day to day. Like, what are they doing? How are they solving X, Y, and Z problems? How are they solving cost modeling problems? what are some pain points, like asking the right questions. So that's how we've been building a roadmap in some ways. And now that we have more customers, and if we hear the same story three or four times over, that kind of diverges into the same story, that is the product and feature that we should be working on. In addition, we send product surveys once a year as well, just to get a gauge of what people are running into and seeing what people are asking for as well.
1: This is one of my favorite questions, Tony. How did you go about building your team? What did you look for in these people to make them the winning horses?
0: For us, it was a natural progression of friendship in some ways to build our product together and start a company together. As mentioned, Francois, Casey, and I were very early employees at Perfect Audience. And through just grit, grind, and that whole raising money and building a startup and growing it to a multi-million dollar AR business, you become really, really quick friends. And you get to learn about each other uh, very, very quickly. At Perfect Audience, we had a very special camaraderie, not just between the three of us, but all 15 of us. We hung out with each other outside of work. We got to know each other. We got to know each other. Spouses, um, I slept on their couches many times. We go out for drinks. So for us, we just wanted to work with people that were our friends and that we really enjoyed working with. So for us, it was just like getting the gang back together. And Francois and I, and Casey always joke, like it will be awesome if we can just grow the company to a point where we can hire back everyone and get the gang back together. So for us, it's just people that we just want to work with. And I think there is a common thread. Like we have the same moral compass in some ways. We have the same value as founders. For us, we just wanna be good and nice people to each other and we just wanna build a business that focuses on that. So I think that's how we just came together naturally.
1: I love that and it, it, it really indicates that you know relationship is super important in a startup, in building a business, in building a team culture, right? Would you think that's true?
0: Yeah, it's it's so important. And I think a lot of people will see this and, and give it a pause like, whoa, 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 you know, I've seen startups and this can jeopardize relationships in some ways. But for us, we've always had the mentality of what's best for the business and how do we treat each other fairly. And that came from a lot of our learnings building our first startup as well, right? At the end of the day, if cloud forecast fails, but if we can look back and say, hey, we treat each other fairly and we treat each other like human beings and, and we looked out for the best interest of in the business, that is something that is we're good. You know, that is something that we can look back and be proud of on, on our side.
1: So let's talk about scalability. So did you build this to scale efficiently in the beginning or were you fighting this as you started to grow?
0: So that is actually our core strength. Francois and Casey, they have built distributed systems their whole career on AWS, and they're backend engineers. So they've scaled previous startups tremendously multiple times. So for us in the beginning, we have built our infrastructure in a way that can scale efficiently, but also capital-wise as well. There are many times where we onboarded a relatively large customer, and Francois and Casey, or they look at him like, well, okay, can our system handle it? Nope and it takes them 24 hours just to figure it out on the fly. Yeah, they, they were very conscious and it's really helpful to have people that have strong domain knowledge and DevOps and infrastructure to scale efficiently and run the business on the backend. So we've never had any issues, which we're very thankful for.
1: It makes sense that your team are experts at AWS and scaling based on the product that you've built. Uh, but that's really cool to, to hear. Most, you know, most MVPs are built to just make it happen. And to build something out of the gate that can scale efficiently is, uh, is I think, a, a rare delicacy, so, so to speak. So that's, that's very cool.
0: Absolutely. And we've always taken a mentality of, like, we'll figure it out. Francois says that a lot. And I think that goes to a lot of proactive work that he's done to build his stack. There were a few times where we've onboarded a pretty big enterprise customer and we looked at the bill and we're like, well, that's a really big CSV file that we need to ingest. How can we figure it out? And he figures it out within 24 hours, and he looks at it in a very creative way. So kudos to Francois and Casey and building our, our startup in that way. So I definitely don't take that for granted.
1: Well, as you step out on the balcony and look across all that you've built with Cloud Forecast, what are you most proud of?
0: Yeah, I think for me, there's two things I'm most proud of. The first thing is our co-founder relationship between Francois, Casey, and I, and if you read a lot about startups and why they fail, and a lot of it early on is because they cannot figure out a way to work with each other. I think it's very important to find co-founders that are looking for each other's best interests as well, have a little humility, and that goes a long way in terms of how you work together and how you possibly complement each other as well. It's helped us get through a lot of difficult conversations that we probably might not agree on. The great thing, though, is the fact that we look out for each other's best interests and maintain a really strong relationship. In some ways, it has helped us find middle grounds in in terms of like founder conversations, equity, how we treat customers, as well. So, in in that same token, in some ways, it's also relationships that we built outside of our co-founder relationships. I think for us, we've always wanted to build a company that focuses on every interaction that we have with customers, potential customers, or not even if there's no commercial outcome. We want to be helpful as much as possible with other people, um, even if there's no commercial outcome. At the end of the day, we, we just want to be the company that people can look at and be like, you know, Cloud Forecast, those founders are really cool people. They're really helpful. They're really nice. They're just really great people.
1: So let's flip the script a little bit, Tony. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it.
0: For us, distribution has always been difficult. And I would say that's been probably one of the biggest mistakes we've made in focusing on a a specific channel that was not driving any leads or traffic or conversions in some ways. We probably wasted a lot of time early on asking the wrong questions uh, internally and approaching marketing the wrong way. So I think for us, I wish we spent more time learning about SEO, learning about channels that work within our persona, whether that may be content and building content and bringing value to people as well. So for us, how we've responded to it, now we're pretty cognizant of how much time we spent on a certain channel and we're making iterations a lot faster so we're not wasting time we are constantly asking tough questions uh, internally, like, hey, is this channel really working? Is what we're doing really working? Are we moving fast enough? So that way we're not making excuses, you know, like, oh, this should be taking a little bit longer, or we don't have enough data. We also try to ask people that might be expert within that domain, are we approaching it the right way? What are the best practices? How can we do this better? And just being okay with getting really harsh feedback, like, Hey, you're not moving fast enough. You're not doing this well enough. So I think for us, we're just getting feedback a lot quicker. We're making iteration a lot faster. So we're not wasting time.
1: Tony, tell me a little bit about you and the way that you work. Who influences the way that you work? CEO, CTO, architect, or really really any person, name a person you look up to and why?
0: Kind of going back to what I mentioned earlier. The people that i look up to a lot are actually just my dad um, my mom in some ways and my wife's family as well i was born here but our parents were not born here and they had to come here with pretty much very limited language skills and limited education as well and just watching them hustle and grind and be able to provide for their family growing up I, i think it creates a different mentality for me personally How I think about it is I I don't have an excuse. You know, they came here, they were able to provide for me, raised three kids. Like My dad uh, had me actually about the same age as I am right now, and he was able to figure it out. He was able to run a very successful restaurant for 30 plus years with very limited education and language skills and provide for his family. For me, I don't have that same burden. You know, I'm educated. I have strong language skills in in English, obviously. And I have a great network of people. There's really no reason why I can't figure it out when he was able to as well. So they play a big influence. Whenever I'm down, whenever I'm like, I can't figure it out. I just think about that in some ways. And that provides a lot of encouragement for me as well.
1: If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach?
0: When you're in it, you're like, whatever, you know, you're just kind of going through the grind, but um, you can always do things differently. I think just all the decisions we made, good or bad, has shaped our product as founders in some ways. We fail, we learn, we fail, we learn, we make mistakes, we learn, and that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur. Selfishly speaking, I do wish and I wonder if we have focused on building an audience first before we built the product, would have scaled the business in a different way. So for Francois and I, we actually quit our jobs end of uh, 2018 and worked on this full time for about a year without taking a salary. We didn't really have much of an audience. So all of 2019 was building an audience and just clawing way through in what they call the slow ramp of death. So I've always wondered, like, if we spent time and didn't quit our jobs and just build the audience first, how would that have scaled our business differently? However, just looking back, I don't regret, regret the decision one bit of putting full time and just deferring a salary for a year. And we've learned and we've built and thankfully we've been able to scale the business in some ways. And we have supportive wives that let us do that. I don't regret it one bit. We've learned and I think that's just lessons that you just chalk up and you apply moving forward.
1: Last question, Tony. You're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They are jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They really think it's gonna make an impact. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a few times?
0: I think there's two things. Um, So I've been doing the startup thing for close to 10 years now. I think one thing early on that I struggled with is acting on your ideas and being okay to fail and being okay just to put yourself out there and to launch and ship. I think shipping and being public about what you're building is always a scary thought, right? There are just so many different factors that come in. You're just not confident in what you're building, right? But I think it's important to act on your ideas and actually do something about it. Ideas are just ideas. You just write them down, but you're not acting on the ideas. You're not really progressing in terms of what you're trying to build or what you're trying to accomplish in some way. So I would say that's the first big thing. Second is it's really important to build a tribe and group of people to keep you accountable and to be able to share those ideas. So those ideas can always come back. There's so many times where like I might write down an idea and not share it, but it just gets lost, right? And they might be great ideas that I have and they could have been just like next unicorn in some ways. But one thing that's really helped with plot Forecast is that we do have a group and tribe of people around us to keep us accountable, to help us progress on our product right they're always asking what is the next thing you're building what are you focused on and we share those ideas in some ways with them and share our business with them so it keeps us accountable so i think those two things are very very important just building people um, around you that can check on bond you that can keep you accountable to trade off ideas to also just bounce off feedback with each other
1: that's great advice Well, Tony, thank you for being on Code Story. Thank you for telling the creation story of Cloud Forecast.
0: I really appreciate the opportunity and I really hope my story can encourage someone or push someone a little bit further, especially if they're a minority founder uh, in some ways that are uh, similar to my background uh, as well.
1: I'm sure that it will. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story